0: So continuing, dealing with the Trinity, uh, this week we will deal with some of the difficult verses on the deity of Christ, and some of the verses that people will point at to say uh, the Trinity is not a doctrine found in the Bible, or that Christ was simply a man, he wasn't God and man, or he was some created being, he wasn't God himself. Uh, So that's what we'll look at tonight. and so one of these verses is there uh, under the title. It says, Mark thirteen thirty two, but of that day and that hour, knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the son, but the father. And so we'll deal with that verse a little later, but people will point to this verse and say, well, how can the son, if he's not, if he's God, if the son is God, how can he not know the day or time, right? Because God knows all things. So if the son doesn't know, then he must not be God. Um, but I think, again, going back to what we've talked about the last two weeks are the natures of Christ. You have to understand the two natures of Christ to deal with some of these verses. Uh, he has the nature of God. He is not created. He's eternal. He's spiritual. Uh, John 17, 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So here he asks the Father to glorify him with his own self right with the father uh, with the glory that he had before the world was so it's clear jesus was before the world it's clear that he had the same glory as the father right so again showing his deity that he is equal with god because he was god and then first timothy 117 it says now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise god be honor and glory forever and ever amen so they're talking about the king eternal, that's Christ, right? Talk about how he's immortal, uh, the only wise God. So there's all these scripture and passages that refer to Christ as God, the almighty God, right? The eternal king. And so there's a lot of support that indicates, right, Christ is God, right? He is deity. And then you also have uh, Jesus' nature as a man, right? He was created or born of a woman, He had flesh and blood. He was earthy. He had that earthly body. Uh, Luke 2, verse 6 through 7. Of course, uh, many people know this passage as the details of Christ's birth. Uh, But it says And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the end. Right? So Jesus was born of a woman. He was flesh and blood. He was a, a baby, right? He was born and laid in the manger. Uh, so he came and had an earthly body, he was flesh and blood, and experienced what we experience in the flesh. Uh, John nineteen twenty eight. It says after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So again, just pointing out his earthliness, his human nature, he got thirsty, he got hungry as a man, right? And so he experienced these things that we experience. So you have to understand he was God, yes, but he was also man. So you have some verses that talk about his human nature and people say, well, if he's God, he wouldn't have experienced that. Well, as man, he would have, right, is the explanation. So when you fail to understand the two natures of Christ, you will be easily confused on this issue. Uh, letting the word of God be true does not mean that we understand everything that it says. All right. So again, that aspect of the Bible teaches that Christ was God. It teaches his deity. You may not fully understand that or comprehend that, but it's our responsibility to let the word of God be true and to have faith in it. So if the Bible says Christ was God, he was deity, we by faith accept that. And so we need to let the word of God be true as it says in Romans 3 verse 4. Uh, but looking at some of these problem verses, if you will, uh, Hebrews 1.5 being one of these verses, it says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So here it talks about God saying to Jesus, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And so they'll look at this verse and say, well, Jesus was begotten of God, right? So that means that Jesus at one time was created, right? It was God himself, and then God begot Jesus. But this verse happens, the question is, when was Jesus begotten of God? Um, And the answer is, at his resurrection, okay? Begotten does not mean to be initially created. Um, It has to do with almost a new creation, when he became his new heavenly body. Uh, And just to show this, uh, they're quoting Psalms 2-7. So this was a prophecy that Jesus would be the begotten of the Father. And So the point here being Hebrews 1-5 is not saying Christ was created at a certain point. It says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Hebrews is quoting from Psalms, quoting that prophecy. If you go to Hebrews 5-5, It says, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So talking about how the father made Christ that high priest and this verse about this day have I begotten thee is in a reference to when Christ was made high priest. Well, when was Christ made high priest? It was after his atonement, after his crucifixion, after the sacrifice he gave. That's when he becomes the high priest of Israel. And so it would have been after his resurrection. Um, Acts 13, 13 uh, 33. It says, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he have raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Paul quotes the same prophecy in Psalms 2, and he quotes it in reference to when Jesus was raised from the dead. So he says, he fulfilled the same in that he have raised up Jesus again, as it is written this day. Uh, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So it's dealing with after Christ resurrected, that's when that prophecy was fulfilled, that he was uh, begotten of God. Um, Romans 1.4. says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Romans 1.4 says he was declared to be the Son of God by his power, or with that power of the resurrection from the dead, showing his power that he was the Son of God when he resurrected from the dead. And So Hebrews 1.5, that whole passage is dealing with um, the one, the anointed one that would come and sit on the throne of David. Okay, so that's what that verse is talking about. He begot Christ to be that one that would rule over the nations, right? That would rule on the throne of David. And that's what it means by this day have I begotten thee to be that one, okay? Um, And you see this in Hebrews 1. If you read verse uh, 5, it says, And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's quoting 2 Samuel in the prophecy given to uh, David that he would have a son sit on the throne forever. And it says, I will be a father to him. And so this all has to do with the prophecy of the one that would sit on the throne of David. And so that's what Hebrews 1.5 is talking about. When it says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. It's quoting from Psalms 2. And every other passage in the New Testament that deals with this prophecy is in a reference to after Christ has resurrected. It's not saying Christ was created or begotten at a certain point in time in eternity past. Okay, it's dealing with his resurrection. And so um, this passage also speaks to Jesus being a higher name, Having a higher name than angels or uh, humanity, uh, verse four says, "Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, and that name is Son of God." And so, the name Son of God is more excellent than any name given to angels or humanity. Um, and again, it's because the Son of God is God Himself incarnate in the flesh. Okay, uh, so that's how I would deal with that verse if someone were to quote it and say. He was begotten of God, therefore he's not God. That verse isn't talking about creation. It's talking about a position that Christ was given. Um, So again, you cross-reference those verses that deal with it. It's always after his resurrection. Another verse that someone might quote would be John 5, verse 19. Where Jesus says, it says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. But what he see if the Father do for what soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So say Jesus can do nothing of himself; the Father has to help him do it. Well, it's not saying Jesus doesn't have the power to do anything. Okay, uh, if you had to read it in its context, uh, verse eighteen, the verse before, it says, "Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God." So the very verse before, the Jews understood Jesus to be saying he was equal with God, right? And so Jesus is explaining, I do nothing of myself, I'm doing the Father's will, is what he's saying. He's not saying, I can't do anything, I have no power without the Father's help. He's saying, I'm not doing my own will, I'm doing the Father's will. Nothing I do is outside the will of my Father. Um, And again, you see this in the context. Uh, Verse 23, he says that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So here again, he's making himself equal to God because he says, All men should honor the Son. So if they're honoring the Son, he's making himself equal to God. He said they should honor the Son just as they should honor the Father. And again, the reason being, uh, because he's doing the will of the Father. Verse 26, it says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so have he given to the Son to have life in himself. And then verse 30, he says, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear. I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. So Jesus came to do the will of his Father. And that's what he's saying here. I can do nothing of myself, meaning I'm not here to do my own will, but the Father's will. And so everything that Jesus did was in accordance to the will of the Father. Uh, he's not saying that he didn't have power to do anything, as I think a lot of people take that verse. Uh, so that's not what he's saying there. Uh, another one would be Matthew 27, 46, uh, when Jesus was on the cross. And he says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So people will say here, well, if God forsook him, how can God forsake him if he is God? Right? Or you might have heard someone say before, because of all the son on Jesus, the Father or God had to turn his back on him. Well, that's not true because Jesus is God, and he can't turn his back on himself. Um, Jesus here is actually quoting, again, from the Old Testament, which is important to understand in Psalms 22.1. Psalms 22 is a prophecy about the cross and the crucifixion. Uh, Psalms 22.1, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wart thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? So again, Psalms 22, one is quoting prophecy. Um, it's possible that Jesus quoted this whole psalm while he was on the cross. So when you think about Jesus hung there for hours, um, he probably quoted this whole psalm because this whole psalm is a prophecy about the crucifixion. Um, and it's interesting if you look at other phrases Jesus said on the cross, um, such as John 19.28, Uh, We read this verse earlier. It says in this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And so the scripture there that was fulfilled is also in Psalms 22. In verse 15, it says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. So this verse talking about on the cross, he would be thirsty. Right. So Jesus says in John 19, I thirst, which is also a connection to Psalms 22. Um, John nineteen thirty, he says, uh, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And at the end of Psalms 22, it says, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. To so talking about that Jesus have done all of this. And so when he says it is finished, a lot of people take that to say, well, his crosswork was finished. And that's actually not what John nineteen thirty is about. It's talking about, the prophecies have been fulfilled. He has fulfilled them all. It is finished. Right? He has fulfilled all the prophecies about himself. He can now die and resurrect, Right? being the last one that he had to do. And so when he talks about, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? He's quoting from Psalms 22, which is a prophecy about the crucifixion, letting the people know that I am the Son of God, fulfilling the prophecy. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. So I don't think he's saying, Right, God has forsaken me. I'm forsaken of God. Because he was God, right? That was the will of the Father for him to go to the cross, to die on the cross for our sins. So it wasn't like some surprise to Jesus that this was happening, right? He knew this. Um, he's simply quoting that psalm to show he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Because Psalms 22 is about the crucifixion and the glory that would follow after for the nation of Israel. Okay, so again, you have to understand that and make these uh, cross references. Also, if you go to John 20, verse 27 through 28... Um, It says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So Thomas referred to Jesus as my God. Right, so Jesus, when he says, My God, my God, would be talking to himself. Right? But again I think you have to understand he's simply quoting that prophecy to show I am the Christ, right? I am the Messiah. This crucifixion is a fulfillment of Psalms 22. Um, So I think that's important to understand there. Uh, Mark 13, 32. So this is the verse on the paper where he says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So I think there's two explanations you could give here. One being that Jesus was a man, and as a man, he did not know the day and the hour, but of course, as God he did so again, in his flesh, as a man, he didn't know all things, right, but as God, of course he would have um, and if you go to luke two fifty two I say this is where it's hard to grasp the deity of Christ because he was God, but he was also man. Uh, look 252 it says in jesus increased in <laughs> wisdom and stature and in the favor with god and man so jesus again as a man had to increase in wisdom and stature right he had to grow up he had to learn things right as we would as a man but as god he would have already known them right um, so that would be one explanation that he as a man did not know the dare hour just as no other man knows but as god he would have known um and then also at it in its context Again, Mark thirteen thirty two. The very next verse, he says, "Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is." So he doesn't say, "Watch and pray for no no one knows when the time is." He says, "You, right?" So no man knows the day or an hour. You need to watch and pray because you don't know when the time is. He doesn't say we don't know, but it refers to them as ye don't know. So again, the point being, man does not know the day or hour. He says, For the Son of Man is as a man, taken a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So the point being of this passage is that the disciples need to watch, because they don't know when the time comes. Right, so again, that emphasis on you don't know the time. No man knows the time, not even the angels. The other explanation would be when this phrase, um, no man knows the hour, could simply mean it's not for anyone to reveal it, to be known. Uh, it's kind of the same way Paul uses 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. In First Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul says, for I determined not to know anything among you, say, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you. Meaning, I'm not going to reveal or preach anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that could be the same way Jesus was using that. It's not for no man to know that day and hour. It's not for it to be revealed. right? It's not to be preached to you to know that day and hour. Because it's not for you to know. Same thing in Acts 1-8 when they ask, is that this time you're going to set up the kingdom... says it's not for you to know the days or the seasons right and we can look at that real quick i think it's x1 8 or 1 6 it says when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying lord without this time restore again the kingdom to israel and he said unto them it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power but you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So he doesn't say, you idiots, I told you I don't know, right? Didn't I tell you in Mark thirteen thirty two? I don't know the time, why are you asking me again? He doesn't say that, he says it's simply not for you to know, right? So again, showing that, I think the disciples took from that, that not that Jesus didn't know, but that it wasn't for them to know, right? It wasn't to be revealed to them. Uh, so that would be my explanation for that verse, right? Not that Jesus as God didn't know, or he wasn't God, that's why he didn't know. Or somehow he emptied himself of being God and came under submission to not know things. I don't think that was the case. I think it was simply that as a man he wouldn't have known, but as God he would have. And also it was not for him to reveal that, right? Um, the other one would be Colossians one fifteen, another verse that people might would... used to say Jesus wasn't God. It says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So that the firstborn of every creature, they would say, well, he was the first thing to be created. right? He's the firstborn of every creature. Uh, But again, you have to read in its context. Uh, First of all, this same verse says he is the image of the invisible God. So it kind of indicates that he is God manifest to man. Right. He's the image of God. But verse 16, it says, For by him were all things created. Well, if all things were created by him, how is he created if he's part of the all things? If he's a created being, right? So if all things were created by him, he would have had to create himself, which is impossible. Right? He's God, right? This is the point here. Um, the firstborn of every creature has to do with the firstborn from the dead, uh, which it says in verse 18, it says he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So he's the firstborn of every creature from the dead is the context here. Uh, not meaning he's the firstborn or the first thing to be created by God because Christ is said to have created all things. And so he himself is creator. Uh, John fourteen twenty eight. This would be the last one. Says ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye have loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So my Father is greater than I. Well, if he's God, wouldn't he be equal with the Father? How is his Father greater if he's God? And the Father is God. Well, he's not talking about uh, he's greater in power or in being, but in position. Right? Jesus submitted himself to do the will of the Father, making the Father higher in position, right? Not in power or in being. Um, The Lord was not inferior in his essential being or power, but in office. And in the very same chapter, if you go down to verse nine through 11, it says, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the father. And how sayest thou then? Show us the father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. So he says here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? Well, if the Father's is greater, how have we seen the Father if we've seen you? So again, it's not greater in power of being, but in, in office, in uh, their position. In John 10, verse 30. He says, I and my Father are one. So they're again making himself equal to God. Um, again, it has to do with position. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-seven it says, For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith, All things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. So again, all things are going to be put under Jesus' feet, except for the Father, which is what this says. The Father puts all things under Jesus' feet except for himself, right? The Father is not under Jesus' feet. Uh, Philippians 2, uh, verse 5 through 11, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So This verse says he is equal with God. uh, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, put himself of no reputation. He put on himself the human flesh. He submitted himself to do the will of the Father, even though he was equal with God. Right, And again, that makes sense when he talks about, I'm ready to have the glory that I had with you before the world was, because they're equal. Jesus just submitted himself to become man, to fulfill the will that was predestined before the foundation of the world, to save humanity, Right, to be that perfect sacrifice. And so because of this, he's going to be set up above all things, and we'll have... Uh, the kingdom, right? And all things will be subject under him. So that would be the explanation for that verse, right? He's not less than the Father in power and in being, simply in office, in position, right? He submitted himself to do the will of the Father, to perform the work, the perfect sacrifice. So with that being said, some of these difficult verses, again, Even for myself, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, is sometimes hard to comprehend because I'm not God. I don't understand what that's like, right? But I do believe the scriptures teach it. There's plenty of support that show Christ is God. He's equal with God. But you have to understand, he was also man, so there are some verses that speak to his humanity. How he thirsted, how he hungered, right? How he had to learn things, how he had to learn to be obedient to the Father. Um, Again, as a man. And so, with that being said, are there any thoughts or questions? A little bit quicker lesson.